Today's Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. The week before Easter. And that means the church traditionally has taken this moment to step up, lift its head, and reflect upon the, the story that we share with Christ. And that means that as individuals, we get to look at the story again, and collectively as a church, we celebrate the story of Jesus. And so today we're going to go and uh, we're going to go to the upper room, and we're going to look at a, a portion of the conversation that Jesus held with his closest friends, his disciples. And um, that for us means that we're going to be entering in, if you like, into this room, this upper room, where Jesus has this most intimate time with his close friends. And uh, as has been mentioned this morning, the scene has already been set by Jesus washing the feet of the disciples as they have come into that room. And uh, as we heard Jody say today, that's, that's an act of intimacy and an act of sacrifice, an act of honor and an act of humility, all wrapped into one, isn't it? But Jesus has set the stage for what will be probably the most powerful time that he will ever spend with his closest friends. And we need to remind ourselves of the context. These close friends of Jesus that we call the disciples are nothing more than teenagers in their age. Peter, who is sort of the leader of the pack of the disciples, certainly the most ambitious and rambunctious one, you can look that up in the dictionary, rambunctious, they reckon he may have been the only one who cracked 20 years of age. Because when Jesus invited him to go to the temple, he had to pay a temple tax. And you only paid the temple tax when you hit the age of 20. Remember when Jesus was saying to Peter, go down, find a fish, and you'll find a two drachma coin in the mouth of the fish? That was to pay the tax. The others didn't pay the tax because they were younger. And some commentators suggest that the apostle John may be as old as 13 when he was entrusted to Jesus as a disciple. So these are the people whom God chose to change the world. And we can't credit to them high levels of wisdom and experience and intelligence or spiritual maturity, can we? But we can credit to them is passion and love and the sense of urgency and importance of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we've had a little bit of a taste of that, having heard the you know experience today in some small way. But this morning we're talking about how Jesus wants to transition his, his disciples from being servants to saints, from being those who are committed out of a sense of obedience or loyalty to Jesus to being friends. And this, this supper scene that we see here, uh, portrayed by Leonardo da Vinci, of course, is the iconic capturing of a picture of the uh, Easter story around the Last Supper. Uh, of course, it's, we love to make fun of it as well, is that? Normally, when we dine together, we don't all dine on the same side of the table. And uh, there wouldn't have been a table, because tables are a relatively modern invention. Most people would have eaten on the floor or just a little raised table just above the floor. But there's a picture there that captures the scene where Jesus is speaking deeply into his closest friends about what will come. And the thing about this time is that even after it's explained to the disciples, they still didn't know what was to come. They didn't have any idea that this was going to be their last significant meal together. They were oblivious to the journey that Jesus was about to enter into. And so we see them here in this upper room, and uh, they are beginning a conversation. And the first part of this conversation is what I want to focus on today. 
where Jesus sets the scene for what the conversation is going to mean to them in the bigger uh, picture of time. Jesus invites them up to a different level of relationship. So let's have a look at this. Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I really want to focus on that last line today, which says, everything that I have learned from my father, I've made known to you. Now, when you've got your best friend with you, oh, there's some couples over here with their arms around each other. That's, that's lovely. Hey, you almost think you could be friends, you know? I won't tell your wife, Dave, all right? Okay. Oh, that is your wife. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> He's one of our elders. I can, I can have a go at him. But our, when we're talking about our close friends, we're talking about people who know our secrets, people who know our aspirations, our goals, our hopes, our dreams, our failings, our fears. This is what friendship is all about. People whom we can entrust our lives with and to. And so here we find Jesus saying, listen, you're no longer going to be just my disciples. You're going to be my friends. And everything that I know is going to be known to you because as I've learned it from the Father in heaven, I'm going to make it known to you. And so he's setting a scene here for what the future is going to be. But what the disciples don't know is that Jesus isn't going to be there. So it makes this these words more telling and compelling about how it is that he's asking them to evolve into a place of maturity where they can understand the will of God, but not just as somebody who's the master, but as somebody who is a friend. You see, we're stepping past what I call blind obedience. Blind obedience is when you go, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. When you do what you're told because you do what you're told. And that's as simple as that. And we've all had experiences of doing what we're told. I, I go back to uh, when I was at secondary school, and uh, I can remember trying out for the first 15. I was about 16 or 17 years old, probably 17 years old. And uh, the coach got the, the squad there, and he just ran us into the ground. Uphills, downhills, press-ups, sit-ups, burpees, carrying each other. And it just went on and on and on. We worked out after a while, after about three or four weeks of this, of training three or four times a day, that all he was looking for was someone to throw up their lunch. And then once he saw that, he would calm down a little bit. So we got pretty clever on this, and we tried to work out between us who had overeaten at lunchtime. And we, we, we sort of almost literally called it out of them to stop the training. But that was blind obedience. Blind obedience out of fear. Fear that we would be eliminated. Fear that we wouldn't make the grade. Fear that we wouldn't actually know, uh, sorry, wouldn't be able to be part of the team. And so this blind obedience for a young person wasn't a bad place to start, but wasn't going to be a very good place to end. You see, as a young guy, I didn't understand that there was a bigger picture to this rugby for this school. And the coach who himself had worn an all-black jersey, he... Um, He'd been coaching this team for over 20 years. For him, he was looking forward to the, 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 the rivalry with the old guard, the old teams, the traditional 
score-settling games that we're going to have against Gisborne boys and Hamilton boys and Auckland Grammar and St. Kendigans and all these teams that were out to take us out. All we were trying to do was to get through that training. We didn't have any idea of the big picture, but the coach had the big picture. And by the end of the season, he shook our hands. That was it. But that was enough to say, well done. You've done really well. You've played a good season. So we went from heaving to handshakes. And that was our journey into the bigger picture. And now, even when I see Max 30 years later, I see him as a friend. Because he took me through a place of blind obedience. Now, one of the things about the disciples is that they too were on this journey of learning about, blind, learning about um, uh, friendship and what it meant to use authority that Jesus had. You see, when we're introduced to somebody who's powerful like Jesus, we assume that what they're wanting to do is just impose their authority and their will upon somebody. One of the things that surprised me over the last few years is I've had meetings with politicians, uh, people in, in parliament, talk to them about various things that might be concerning us or the churches, is that they are not just there to impose their will upon us. They're actually interested in building relationships. And that was quite a significant thing for me to discover, that these people are actually people, believe it or not. And, and yet, I've got a great example here in Scripture of where James and John are, are still working it out, what it means to have authority and power. And all they're looking for as young disciples is blind obedience for Jesus in this case. So let's have a look at this little story. Uh, it says here in Luke's Gospel, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So this is just before this week of the Last Supper. And he sent, a he sent messengers on ahead who went into the, a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his, his disciples went to another village. Now, I love this story. It's just something about it. It's just maybe it's the little teenage boy in me looking at a couple of teenage boys exercising or wanting to exercise authority in a really poor way. I love the level of confidence and the level of faith that they have, you know, but they're working out of a false premise. The false premise is that Jesus is going to force them, force them to be, uh, to be into his will. And so when they weren't received in a gracious way by those in this village, James and John basically stand back and they go, okay, let's bring it on. Okay, Jesus, we're ready. Just give the word and we'll call down fire from heaven. I just, I just love the picture because there's so much faith, so much confidence. We're going to have some smoked Samaritans here. And this is going to be awesome. It's going to glorify God, you know, just like Old Testament times when Elijah was on Mount Carmel and uh, the, 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 the prophets of, of Baal, the false god, got wiped out when God smashed them. Yeah, you can sort of see teenage boys thinking along those lines, can't you? Of course you can. Of course you can. But Jesus rebuked them. He said, this isn't about wasting people. My authority is not going to be spent doing this form of activity to get my will. 
And, and so we see here that James and John thought that true motivation was based in fear. And so they have arrived now at this last supper, this final meal with Jesus, still with this mindset that people are motivated through fear. We are not. It might begin the process, sure. Fear is not all bad, you know, in as much as you should fear falling off a cliff. You should fear putting your finger in the socket of the electric plug. All those fears are positive fears. But you're not sustained in a motivational way by fear alone. Fear will exhaust you. Love, however, Jesus said, will give you the ability to overcome. And perfect love casts out all fear. And so we go back to what it was Jesus said, you are my friends. If you do what I command, I, know, I can no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So let's just take a couple of minutes now and look at what the difference is between a friend and a servant. When you're a servant, your obedience is demanded. It's expected of you. There's no reward for it. It's just the way that you are to live your life. But when you're a friend, you don't look at the reward or the, or the, or the, uh, the, 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 the sense in which you're obligated. You look at giving away your life as a sacrifice. Now, I know when I was a kid and I was invited to do the dishes by my mother, I had this idea that um, it's all about minimums, okay? And minimums were what I would base my 12-year-old life upon. Now, I don't know about you guys, but in, you, in my household, when my mum would say, Craig, can you do the dishes? That was code word for do the dishes, clear the table, dry the dishes, wipe down the bench, put everything away. All right, is that code word in your house for that? Yep. But of course, being an idealist and a legalist at the age of 12, do the dishes was do the dishes. Not clear the table, not dry the dishes, not wipe down the benches, not put things away. And so I had to learn that getting past minimums was about moving beyond being a child in my own household to actually being a friend to my parents and adopting the values that they held about what it meant to be an adult. And so I had to move. Now, I can't say I got passionate ever about dishes. Still aren't. But you move from minimums to passion once you actually own the bigger picture of what the kingdom is all about. Isn't that true? And when it comes to our, our, our service, so we have the same attitude when it comes to work. Work uh, are the jobs that we do. And just for example, any time during a Sunday, we have lots of people doing jobs in the life of the church here. You know, there'd be people right now ministering to our children, and, uh, and we need to see people participating at a level of partnership. It doesn't matter what you're doing, you're actually serving in the bigger picture. So, for example, over the last seven or eight weeks, we've been running the Alpha courses, which means that every Sunday after the evening service, all of these chairs get taken outside, Tables are brought in with tables set up so that on Monday we can accommodate our guests and show them these alpha videos which present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now those folks who are putting up the tables and packing them down, bringing the chairs in again, they are equal partners in the gospel with those who are around the table and have the ability to invite somebody to invite Christ into their life. 
That is every much a part of what it means to be a partner, doesn't it? It's the old story of two people carrying wheelbarrows full of concrete on the building site. You ask one, what are you doing? Oh, I'm wheeling concrete. You ask the second one, what are you doing? Oh, I'm building a sky rise. Yeah, isn't that exciting? And everybody has a part to play. That's what I love about it. They should be, should be passionate about it. Um, others might see that they need to be paid if they're, um, if they're a, a servant. But others are invested. I love our car parking team. They're invested in the well-being of this church service. Okay, they're there. They're helping people find a car park. Imagine if there's no car parks. There'd be car parking team. There'd be traffic jams. There'd be road rage. There'd be violence. You know, people would all be turning up here with four by fours with bull bars on them just to find the right parking place. But because we have the right Right thing going on here with the car park attenders. Everybody parks their car. You know, people don't get run over. And we make our way into church. You see, we are invested. A recent experience that I had, and I'm actually going to reproduce this pretty soon, is that uh, Michaela and I walked last year the Camino. Many of you are aware of that. 800-kilometer journey across the top of Spain just carrying our backpack. And I had this sense in which... If I'm going to walk 800 kilometers on a spiritual pilgrimage, God sort of owes me something. Yeah? And maybe a road to Damascus experience, you know, where I get over a little hill and poof, there's this bright light and I get knocked on the ground like Paul did, or Saul did, as he was known then. And I'll say, who is that? Lord, Lord. You know, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Come back and tell you all these great stories. Well, we got to Santiago, and I was saying to Michaela when we got there, I said, you know, this has been a, a really fascinating journey, but I haven't had any huge revelatory experiences. I just feel like it's me and Jesus walking every day, you know, got this cool thing going with God anyway, and uh, nothing extraordinary. And uh, when we got to Santiago, there were some folks who were a day or two ahead of us, about 12 people, and they decided to wait. They said they'd wait for us. And um, they're all younger than us, probably about half, half the age. And when we got there, they said, let's go out for a meal. And so we did. And um, the thing that blew us away was that all of them spoke to us and just thanked us personally for the conversations that we'd had with them as we'd walked and talked together for days on end. And they talked to us about how we'd helped them with their spiritual journey, come to understand God or listen to their problems and their challenges. And I went home that night, or went back to the hostel we were staying at. And I said to Michaela, I get it now. I'm the big person. <laughs> I'm the one who's invested in the kingdom. God will reward me by my ability to help other people, probably in a similar fashion to what the UNO folks talk about today. I'm actually invested. I'm a partner. It's not about what I get. It's what, what I'm used for to give away. That's the difference. And of course, somebody who's a friend is invested in the big picture, not just the small tasks. We accommodate others because we know that others participate in the kingdom of God and their contribution 
is just as valid as anything that I will do because we're invested together as friends. And ultimately, we're friends because of love, not fear. Jesus knew that fear was not a sustainable motivation. So that's why at the beginning of this Last Supper experience, he decided to call out of his friends what he knew they needed to sustain them for the journey. That when they would look back at this period of the Last Supper and know all the things that they were being asked to do, that they could only do it if they knew that they were friends with Jesus. Not slaves, not servants, but friends. What I'd like us to do, I think we've had uh, today a a real fill, if you like, of uh, wonderful godly examples of what it means to be friends of Jesus from our scriptures and also from the UNO team. Why don't we just stand and do something really, really different? It's just stand in silence and ask ourselves, what does it mean to be friends of Jesus as we move into this week of Easter. Why don't you stand now? So let's just quiet ourselves before the Lord. And we ask ourselves, Lord, help me to be your friend. Jesus said to us that, Come to me, all ye who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in the same way, he says, I call you friends, and I give to you that which the Father has made known to me. Father, I thank you that you reveal the deepest secrets of your kingdom to those of us who come to you as a child and say, Lord, can I be your friend? You've called me to that place. And in this week leading into Easter, as we look towards this time of crucifixion and resurrection, We ask, Lord, that you would build in our mind that picture that you as our friend went to the cross for us out of your deep love and our response can be one only of love coming back. And so, God, we we thank you that you call us friends. We thank you that you humbled yourself to raise us up. And in doing so, Lord, we pledge ourselves to serve you and to establish your kingdom through our words and through our actions. And so, Father, we're so grateful that as we come into this week of Easter, 
that our minds are going to be set upon this whole weekend that comes in which everything is designed and developed in that weekend to glorify you. Because you loved us first. Because we are your friends. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.